Hi everyone, welcome to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, where we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors fighting for justice. I'm your host, Lindsay Ann. Last week, I gave you some background on how and why I chose to be one of Egypt's warriors. This week and moving forward, I will walk you through the steps we took during our three and a half year journey to finally get the justice not only Egypt deserves, but the community and our family also deserves. At the time of this recording, there have been three men arraigned and charged in her murder. Are you ready? Let's do this. On Thursday, June 22, 2017, my sister-in-law-to-be, Egypt Covington, had enjoyed an evening of yoga with her friends and decided to head home and call it a night around 9 p.m. Egypt lived in a duplex where she shared one house with two adjoining apartments with her friends, Steve and Megan, living in the second apartment. Megan's father owns the duplex, and Megan's brother, Kyle, used to live on the same side as Egypt. It's kind of a family thing. But Kyle had since moved out. Egypt lived there with her sweet pug chihuahua, Ruby. Her neighbors, Steve and Megan, were allegedly out of town at Electric Forest attending a rave on the west side of Michigan. I say allegedly because of this clip when Egypt's brother Dwayne and I questioned the local police department, Van Buren Township, if they confirmed Steve and Megan's whereabouts. Take a listen. I mean, they're, they were at that electric out. festival a couple hundred miles away. We can pretty much prove they were there. Wait, what do you mean pretty much? Uh, Listen, I'm not gonna get <laughs> no, no, no. What do you mean? Pretty much prove. We there. want to know that you can prove they you had there. their phones. They weren't, okay. they weren't home. I didn't go through their phones. They were interviewed. We talked to okay. neighbors. You've seen them That's go. all I wanted to get. That you didn't go through their phones, so you haven't fully. I know. I'm right. tough. <laughs> I'm tough. I'll tell you what. Okay, bring me something I'm I can tough. use instead of telling me I'm not doing my job properly, and I'll be a much oh better God. person with you. Well, you know, listen, you're, you're telling me I'm not going through people's no, phones. No, we have to, the right to know uh, why, why? Yes. He said he'd be a much better person to me if I stopped telling him he's not doing his job properly. You heard that correctly. Hey, McCarthy, I will not stop holding you accountable, and I will not stop questioning you if you did your job properly. It's called accountability. Sometime either that night after Egypt got home from yoga or the next day, we aren't sure on the exact time of death, but we will be given all of the details at the trial. Egypt was then shot and killed in her own home. Due to the extreme sensitivity of her case being an open and still very much active investigation, thanks to Michigan State Police, I am not going to go into much detail about her crime. I promise you, though, as soon as the assholes are convicted and her trial is over, we will tell all. Egypt's boyfriend at the time, Curtis, found her bound in Christmas lights, on Friday, June 23rd, 2017, and he made the 8 minute and 19 second 911 call 
that evening a little after 7.15 p.m. Here is that organic and dreadful call in its entirety. Thank you to Curtis for your bravery in granting us permission to do so. If you choose not to listen due to extreme rawness, you can fast forward to the 1247 mark right now. 911. I just showed up at my girlfriend's house. We're at 45576 Bemis. And I walk inside. She's there, tied up. She's dead. There's blood around her head. There's flies. She's dead. You said 
be there in just a minute. Look, look for them. Let me know if you see the officer. I want to make sure they find you there. Oh, here. They're on Hall Road. Can you see them? 
Yeah, I see him down the way. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure they find you, make sure they got the right address here. Let me know if they stop there and they for sure see you. I'm out on the road. Okay. Again, I did speak with Curtis prior to playing this, and I would like to thank him again for his bravery. It is very easy to criticize and judge a call like this. Dwayne and I are asking that you please keep those comments to yourself, as no one else was in that exact moment as Curtis. We believe he deserves that respect. From the time the police arrived at the scene until three and a half years later, Van Buren Township Police had their mind made up that Egypt was shot and killed by her ex-boyfriend, Kenny. Kenny was going down. We were going to get to the bottom of this and help Van Buren get that one last piece of evidence that they needed in order to arrest him. Now jumping to January 2018, just a few weeks after I got involved and seven months after her unprovoked murder. Van Buren Township Police had told Egypt's family now for seven months that they just needed one more thing to get Kenny arrested. And we were going to help them get this killer off the streets. However, we would not say Kenny killed her unless and until he was charged with Egypt's murder. One of Egypt's friends, Debbie, rallied up the community and together they hosted an incredibly successful fundraiser for Tina and Duane to hire a private investigator. Dave was the guy for the job. He had not heard of Egypt's unsolved murder and he was not local. So we knew he would investigate with no bias. He made it very clear that he was working for Egypt only. Not for our side of the family, not the other side of the family. Yes, there's a lot of tension amongst the family, but we will not get into that right now. He wasn't working for Kenny or Curtis. He was working for Egypt. Dave has an extensive law enforcement background stemming from 21 years with the Detroit Police Department that included management and leadership positions and experience in covert special operations, undercover work, surveillance, and criminal investigations. His resume is lengthy and Dave was the right fit for the job. Van Buren Township Police Department was less than thrilled about Dave stepping in. His expertise and knowledge seemed to intimidate them, and they quickly proved that they were not willing to work with him in the least. In March of 2018, Van Buren Township Police officially named Egypt's ex-boyfriend, Kenny, as a person of interest. But they still needed that one more piece of evidence to name him a suspect and get him arrested and charged with murdering one of the most loved people in Belleville. 
Is it a coincidence that we were approaching her one-year death anniversary and they have made no known progress? Were they trying to appease the people and doing some damage control before her story was back in the media? Keep in mind, Kenny had been unofficially named as the killer from day one, not only by Van Buren Township Police, but by many of Egypt's family members, much of the community, and media outlets as well. He was up against immense odds a small good old boy police department, and Egypt's father that has very close ties with them and the township representatives. It was time to get to business and dig deep into Egypt's murder. How can a killer still be on the loose in this small town? This is when Dave, RPI, started rocking the boat. He immediately booked interview after interview, and spent countless hours putting everything together. On August 22, 2018, 14 months after Egypt's horrific murder, Dave and Tina, Egypt's mom, had their first meeting at Van Buren Township Police Department. Public Safety Director Greg Lorraine and Chief of Police Jason Wright were in attendance. Here are some direct quotes made by these unempathetic and undereducated, at least in my opinion with homicides, law enforcement officials. Spoiler alert, you will not get any smarter, but they are very interesting coming from the two highest in command. Dwayne is joining me and he will be the voice of the officers in this interview. We have taken it as far as everything we can figure out or as we can follow up with Chief Jason Wright. Yes, that is a direct quote. And yes, it doesn't make sense to us either. Nobody besides a family wants to catch these people more than us. Jason Wright. Yeah, then why don't you prove it? Someone has to say something. That's the only way we'll get this solved. Van Buren Township, Chief of Police, Jason Wright. Okay, now we're talking. That's some real veteran detective work right there. Someone will have to bring you answers because you just can't seem to solve it on your own. We've looked at other people, but you just can't connect them there. Yeah, they're local dirtbags. Jason Wright. Hey, Jason, did you confirm these local dirtbags' whereabouts? Or did you just go by their word like you did with Steve and Megan? Or was it just the good old fist bump and a wink and poof, they're cleared? Usually we can solve a homicide within a week, but this one hasn't been that way since the beginning. Chief Jason Wright. Hey, thanks, Tips. We are now over 61 weeks since the beginning, and it's still not solved, and you still aren't asking for help. Tina asked if they were able to get into Egypt's phone. And you guys, we are in the 21st century, and their freaking answer was, and I quote, I don't believe we were. I do believe we got locked out. I do know we've checked cameras, videos from businesses. We've checked timelines. Wow. Now there's some reassurance to the mother of a murdered daughter that happened 
14 months ago. Dave asked these fine gentlemen if they used the advanced technology called a gray box to get into Egypt's iPhone. This is a device created after Apple's lawsuit entitling them to not unlock iPhones, even for the police. The gray box has the ability to get into an iPhone. It doesn't unlock the phone, but it dumps it so that you can still get all of the information. If there's a will, there's a way. Well, except for Van Buren Township Police, because Chief Wright's answer was this. Never heard of that. Of course you haven't heard of it. You just got done bragging that you guys get at least two homicides a year, maybe three, and one year you had seven. Maybe if you got off your high horse and asked for help and actually used all of your resources available, you would be educated to the standard you should be in order to protect your community. Maybe then you would know what a gray box is. Next question. What about the pattern of life analysis? You guys, the chief of police said I don't I don't know what that is so Dave goes on to tell him what it is and the importance of it he then changes his answer to I know the detectives have done some looking at patterns just not sure which ones oh okay Jason we believe you now now back to some more quotes these are ones aimed at Tina and will make you furious. The detectives are not going to have the same relationship with Tina as they do with Chuck. Egypt's father. Director of Public Safety, Greg Lorraine. For those of you who don't know, Tina and Chuck are divorced and do not have, let's just say, great communication. This now is Chief Wright talking to RPI Dave. Tina hasn't been great with our detectives and you're working for her. So what do you think is going on here? They aren't going to streamline you information. Of course not. That's not what we're asking. But are you in first grade and playing tit for tat? The mother of a murder victim that you can't seem to solve isn't nice to your detectives, so you aren't going to let the PI she hired help solve her daughter's case? Tita made it very clear that she feels Kenny's life sits on clouds. Director Lorraine. Okay, Director. I looked up the idiom, sitting on a cloud, and it means to be in a state of extreme euphoric happiness. So you're telling us that Tina made it clear to you that the person who your department named as Egypt's killer is in a state of extreme euphoric happiness? I think you wish you were sitting on clouds right about now. At the end of the nearly 42-minute disgrace of a meeting, the Director of Public Safety, Greg Lorraine, came through with this whammy. There's a rumor on the street that Egypt got around. What the fuck? What if this was your daughter? Is this how you would want the local law enforcement to conduct themselves? Do you think 
any of these statements are acceptable behavior when talking about a murder? Did you forget that you are the ones that haven't solved it 14 months later? This is when we knew there was no way Van Buren Township Police Department was ever going to solve Egypt's undeserving murder. How in the hell do you go against law enforcement? What will they do to us? How do you get them to listen and do the right thing? You don't stop learning your rights. You don't stop asking questions. You don't stop when they tell you no. You don't stop being persistent. You can't stop and you won't stop fighting for your loved one. Game on, Van Buren Township Police. Our strategy was to gather information with proof, exercise our rights to the Freedom of Information Act, talk to and listen to community members, and then set up a meeting with Van Buren Township Police and demand answers. It seemed that they had a different agenda, though. In September of 2018, about a month after they met with our PI and Tina, you guys, with the help of Egypt's neighbor, Steve, they tried to put our PI, Dave, in jail. Dave explained this embarrassment of an attempt and a huge waste of taxpayers' money best on our Facebook page. He explained the following. Steve fabricated a story about Dave that amounted only to a misdemeanor charge and reported it to Sergeant Stanton. For those of you that don't know, Sergeant Stanton was one of the original detectives assigned to Egypt's case. Sometime after her murder, he was promoted to sergeant and returned to road patrol. How ironic that he ends up taking Steve's police report with several lower-ranking police officers available to take that report. Once Stanton's report was completed, Charles Chip Bazzi, the lieutenant, stepped in to handle the case. This is interesting because most lieutenants in charge of a detective bureau, be it a large department or small, will never type a warrant request or be the officer in charge of a case, especially for a simple misdemeanor. As part of his investigation, Chip Bazzi conducted an interview with Steve over a phone line that both he and Van Buren Township Police claim was not a recorded line. During the interview, Steve claims for the first time that he saw a bulge in the back of Dave's waistband and was afraid that he might be armed. Steve, however, never makes any mention of this in the first two statements that he gives the police. It is only after Bazzi interviews him over the phone that just so happens not to be a recorded line that he all of a sudden has this revelation. Lieutenant Bazzi, who is clearly unfamiliar with the laws he is sworn to uphold, prepared a warrant for home invasion, believing that Dave only needed to be armed when he entered Steve's home in order to satisfy the elements of the crime of home invasion. Bazzi, however, failed to articulate the other elements 
to sustain a charge of home invasion, and it was subsequently denied, in part, by a Wayne County prosecutor. In part because a two-count warrant for the much less serious charge of entering without owner's permission was granted. Dave continued to say, in short, Steve fabricated a story that only met the elements of entering without owner's permission, which is a misdemeanor. Chip Bazzi interviewed Steve on a phone line that was conveniently not recorded, and Steve suddenly remembered, oh, by the way, he was armed and I was scared shitless. This is important because Dave suspected that Bazzi may have planted the bulge in the back of his waistband idea in Steve's head. But it couldn't be proven or refuted because Bazzi chose to use an unrecorded phone line. The problem Dave was having with his own theory was that one cop would never accuse another cop of carrying their weapon in the back of their waistband. From the moment an officer enters the police academy and throughout the length of their career, they are taught the importance of weapon retention and the ability to quickly retrieve and access their weapon if they ever need to use it. Should someone ever attempt to disarm an officer, it is important that the weapon is carried in a manner and location on the body that gives the officer the best fighting chance to prevent it from being taken. Carrying a weapon in an ankle holster, for example, makes it very difficult to quickly draw your weapon and fire, while carrying it in the back of your waistband makes it easily accessible to a bad guy and nearly impossible to protect and retain during a fight. Police officers are taught if you wanted to be a cop, keep your weapon where you can retrieve it quickly or protect it if somebody tries to disarm you. If you want to be a cowboy or a television cop, keep it on your ankle or in the back of your waistband where everyone can see it. That being said, Dave struggled with the idea that Bazzi had planted this idea in Steve's head because he had to know that any cop worth their salt would never carry a gun in the back of their waistband. Dave's doubts were erased when he attended his first court appearance, and you guys, Lieutenant Charles Chip Bazzi was strolling around the 34th District Court with his weapon holstered behind his back. Maybe chicks dig it? I don't know. Keep in mind that at no time was Dave ever contacted by Bazzi or anyone else from Van Buren Township Police for an interview. Bazzi essentially did exactly what Steve told him to do, which lends credence to Steve's statement to Dave that Van Buren Township Police don't fuck with me. Yes, you guys, Steve said to our P.I., Van Buren Township Police, don't fuck with me. Dwayne and I, along with Dave's wife, daughter, and friend, attended the bench hearing, and Dave was found not guilty on both counts. We witnessed Steve lie on the stand, and he even told the judge that he thought Dave was going to plant evidence in his home. What 
a joke. Dave could have planted a school bus in their living room and Van Buren Township Police would not have found it. The amount of time spent on this false accusation should have been spent working on finding Egypt's killer. Chip, you are an embarrassment to police work. Now back to our efforts. After the many interviews and lots of candid conversations, it was starting to become very clear to us that Kenny just might not be Egypt's killer. It was time for me and Dwayne to try to get Egypt's family to come together and time for us to get some more quotes of our own from Van Buren Township Police. Next week, I will talk about our dramatic conversation when we met with Egypt's father and stepmom, as well as the details of our first meeting with Van Buren Township Police, where we started our push to hold them accountable. Please continue to listen as we play this beautiful song featuring our very own Egypt Covington. You know, I don't know why so much pain and loss has to happen. I don't have all the answers. Only he does. And sometimes the best thing to do is, is just trust it. It was back in 04 when Grandpa died and my shirt was soaking wet with tears from my eyes. You tried to call me down, tried to plead your case, but I just bit that face. It has been three and a half years since Egypt was so horrifically taken from all of us. It has been three and a half years of obstacles and lies from the police. It has been three and a half years that no family should ever have to go through. Egypt, we can't stop and we won't stop fighting for you and every other victim that deserves justice. Join our Facebook group, Justice for Egypt, The Truth Behind the Investigation, for more information, where Dwayne and I go live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. A huge thank you to singer and songwriter, Mr. Peace, for allowing us the rights to use the song, Where'd You Go?, featuring our beloved Egypt Covington. We appreciate you. Can't wait for next week. And there's no need to say Where'd you go? I miss you